Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Namihi nui and welcome to Our Changing World from RNZ National. It began as a dream 14 years ago to create a pestry sanctuary on the outskirts of Nelson where native plants and animals can flourish. And when a 14.5-kilometre-long pest-proof fence is finished in a few weeks, the Brookway Marama Sanctuary will nearly be a reality. To find out what's been happening, Alison catches up with the Brookway Marama Sanctuary Trust's General Manager, Tatsun Dot, Bird Monitoring Coordinator, Catherine Chamberlain, and Trust Chair, David Butler, who explains how it all began. I've been involved in the Rotowiti Nature Recovery Project in Nelson Lakes National Park, which is one of these uh, big new dot mainland islands trying to do widespread pest control without a fence um, and I'd seen the opportunity, the, the achievement there and also perhaps the limitations um, of that approach and at the same time there were other people here thinking well wouldn't it be great to have a, a sanctuary near town. They'd seen Karori, uh, Zealandia developing in Wellington and, and the sort of two came together with the idea of well let's see whether we can do something near Nelson and, and let's, let's go for the fenced approach. And there was a group working just nearby in Marsden Valley, um, across the way there, Forest and Bird Group, we got together with them, and everybody kind of then realised that this was the ideal site for a sanctuary, and the more we've looked at it, we think it's actually kind of the ideal site in the country, or well, certainly in the South Island Beach Forest for a sanctuary. So tell me about the site. It's a, a form of water catchment with the, the beauty of one ownership, Nelson City Council. It's around 700 hectares now is going to be with inside the fence, which feels like a lovely bite-sized chunk of, of wonderful bush, big enough to have some really large populations, so it's almost, I guess, three times the size of, of Zealandia. And much of it is intact sort of beech forest that, that's not been logged with some huge podocarps. And then it's its location that's really special. So as we have a lot of volunteers that just come out a few minutes from town to get here. And then we've got a backdrop, both of bush heading into town and... Uh, Mount Richmond conservation area behind, so we've kind of got hundreds of thousands of hectares for the, the birds and so on to spill over once they breed up in here. And when you look at South Island beach forest, there's a lot of really endangered birds. That I guess it's fair to say there's a lot of almost struggle going on to sort of keep them on the mainland. Things like moho, yellowhead, thing, um, the orange-fronted parakeets. We've also, this would be a great site for rowie. And the idea is not, yes, not to just have sort of 20 or 30 birds in here, but to have thousands of them in time in that wider area. It's never a dull moment at the Brook Sanctuary. There's a lot of uh, work going on across the board to prepare the site to be both a wildlife sanctuary and a visitor attraction, because that's the model we're pursuing, is a conservation initiative that is uh, at least partly sustained by visitor revenues. Uh, and so we're not only preparing the site with a pest-proof fence to enable the restoration of the ecosystem and the reintroduction of long-vanished species to the area, we're also in the process of developing an entire track system, including bridges across the stream and, um, and an outdoor classroom, uh, outdoor education zone uh, up 
up the stream in the middle of the bush uh, that has fiber optic cables and power cables run to it so that you can have full-on educational experiences out fully immersed in the ecosystem. So all of that work is happening concurrently, moving toward a, uh, an end goal of opening as a wildlife sanctuary and visitor attraction in 2017. The fence has been under construction for quite a while? Yeah, fence construction started uh, in October 2014 with the goal of having it completed in um, April of 2016. How long is the fence and how much is it costing to build? The fence will be 14 and a half kilometres when completed, enclosing just under 700 hectares. Cost of the project is um, $4.7 million is the fundraising target to build the fence and then remove the pests from inside the fenced area. The actual cost of fence construction itself is about $4.2 million. So once the fence is complete, the next stage is to get rid of the pests inside the fence? That's right. We're following the best practice established by DOC and uh, the other fenced sanctuaries in the country, uh, which is a, an application of the rat poison bradificum, which is the standard rodent poison available in shops in New Zealand. And really, an aerial application of a toxin is the only way to fully remove all the populations of the pest mammal species within a rugged ecosystem like the Brook Sanctuary, uh, because you need to fully achieve eradication. You need to remove all the pests. Otherwise, you'll have residual populations that can then breed again, and you're back to square one. David, what pest species do you have to get rid of? We've actually got a pretty full list here, Alison. And it was interesting when it came to this eradication to, to sort of hear the scientists telling us that it's actually a combination that hasn't quite been done before. And that's partly, I think, because we've got all the, the big ungulates. We've got red deer and fallow deer, we've got pigs, we've got goats, uh, and then coming down we've got possums, feral cats, we've got stoats, I think the occasional um, weasel, rats, mice, hares, rabbits. Got hedgehogs? Hedgehogs, yes, that's and right. What, um, and what, Norway rats? Yeah, probably a few Norway rats around the stream, but pretty much ship rats. Most of the smaller ones will be dealt with with the Bradificum operation, and then we've We've had a wonderful sort of hunting team working here over the years that have already dramatically reduced the big ones and they'll just we'll sort of shepherd the last ones out the gate, close the gates, and then there'll be a wee bit of hunting to remove the last mammals. And as you kind of indicated, things like hedgehogs are a bit of a trick. They can sometimes, a few of them can be asleep when you're trying to do the poisoning. So we're building up a major team effort now with our volunteers to do a monitoring and mop-up phase after the operation. So there'll be all sorts of devices right through the sanctuary that'll be checked picking up these, these last few mammals. One of the big issues with predator-proof fences to date has been mice, and it's very difficult to keep mice out. Do you have any expectation you can keep this mice free? We're aiming to do that with extra determination, and that goes back to the whole beach forest cycle I was talking about earlier, that beach mast, the huge amounts of beach seed coming into this forest, leads to just a huge explosion of mice. And if you didn't have the, the rats here as well to... Just sort of keep the lid on that, possibly. You'd have the place overrun with mice. Uh, places like Mangatauti have done the research to show that you can actually reintroduce many of the target species with mice. There's a few things that, that perhaps wouldn't survive very well with mice because they're not really much of a predator. They're more hoovering up the invertebrates and the, and the beach seed and the fruits and stuff. But our aim is definitely, and we're pretty confident we can, eradicate them and then there'll be a huge effort going on to to keep them out. And I'd like to think I'd be standing here in 10 years' time saying, yep, we've got a mouse-free environment and just look at that. Yeah.
Okay, well, birds. I'm already hearing some birds. You the, are the indeed. Tui, the tui are doing a nice job. There's tuis, there's bellbirds, silver eyes. Um, I gather that you've already been doing quite a bit of monitoring yes. about what you've got here in the sanctuary? Yes, we, we have. We actually have two monitoring programs. We have one inside the sanctuary, um, which we started in 2008, um, and it's using five-minute bird counts, which is a standard technique where you, you stand for five minutes at a site and count all the birds you see in here. Outside the sanctuary, um, we also run a uh, backyard bird monitoring um, project. Anyone can be involved. Uh, they spend half an hour every month counting the birds in their garden. So we're hoping that you know people will start to see and hear more of the native species, you know, the bellbirds and the tuis, in their gardens, and they do currently. It's interesting to see that that garden bird survey has already revealed that there's been an increase of bellbirds into town, which we expect to be one of the ones that will respond most dramatically to the full pest control. And we're also having a lot of fun with weka. Mm. Oh, a year ago, Dave asked me to collect encounters because we were hearing more and more anecdotal stories of people seeing weka in their gardens. And weka are, well, they're wonderful creatures, very curious, very smart, very mischievous. They can be a delight and potentially a nuisance. We want to sort of put together guidelines on how to live with them. Plus, I really want to know where they've moved. It would be great to, to try and map where they've been seen and what corridors are they using, because those corridors will be valuable not just for weka but for other species too, presumably. Well, as well as digging up people's vegetable gardens, weka do have a bit of a reputation for being quite efficient little hunters and eating eggs and chicks and things. So is that going to be an issue for you in the sanctuary? Yeah, weka's going to be a very interesting one um, when we'll be watching their management particularly when you start talking about what a New Zealand forest was really like without these predators. To me, it's a, a heaving mass of giant insects and reptiles and things. There's a lot happening on that forest floor, and the, the weka would be ha sort of having a bit of fun with that. So, yeah, that's a balance. I think that's the other exciting thing about these projects. It's kind of not straightforward. You, you introduce one species, and it might thrive and then you introduce the next species and you find it's in competition with the first one and so on. So there's a lot of learning from around the country about the order in which you do things and your ideal order would actually not be to start with weka. You'd have a weka-free site and build up the populations of the lizards and the invertebrates and then put them in, but we're going to have to be doing it differently. Sticking with the theme of diversity, we've talked about diversity of plants, diversity of animals. You've got quite a diversity of volunteers, Hudson. Indeed. This project is blessed with an amazing abundance of um, community support in all forms, including volunteer labour. Last year, there were over 500 people volunteering for the project. That's pretty unprecedented, I think, um, in scope on the top of the South Island. Those teams are largely self-organised and then managed by staff. Uh, doing quite an array of work and drawing from all walks of life, uh, from the quite young to the quite elderly and uh, everything in between. Has this been a tricky site to build a fence in? It's a pretty steep valley. I'm not sure what the geology's like. I guess there's two sides to that. One is that it is largely a catchment. So on, on one side we're building the fence along the ridge line, which is already a fire break, so that's, that's great. And then we're sort of following the ridge line back behind the site as well, which goes ups and down a bit. But, but basically you don't have water management issues to, to much extent there on the ridge line. Then um, the third sort of side of the site, there's the former 
Dun Mountain Railway that took the chromite out of the Dun Mountain early on, which is now a very popular walking, cycling route. So we've, we've had to fence not on the ridge there, but below that. So uh, that's, that's been a little bit more technically challenging. But no, all of, I mean, the fence companies have built these sort of fences in volcanics in Hawaii and in places like Mangachauchi, where I think there was 30 or 40 streams running off the mountain. We've really only got one outlet stream here with a major dam at the bottom, just Which a few little ones. Which is what we can hear behind us. <laughs> exactly. So from, from my, my point of view, um, it's, it's been a pretty routine site, if you like. Um, I don't know what, how you feel, Hudson. You've been closer to the operational detail of the fence construction. Well, it's a big project, and, and any project of this scope is going to have hiccups that uh, you, you address as you go along. Um, we, we had a landslip that we've had to deal with. But uh, it's gone largely according to plan and, and um, according to the time frame that was laid out and the methodology that the uh, contractors had presented us with in their tenders. So uh, we're, we're quite pleased with the progress. You've obviously spent a bit of time in the forest doing your boot camps. What's it like in there? It's beautiful. You don't have to go far and you feel like you're in the forest primeval, which I just love. What are you yeah. looking forward to? I'm looking forward to hearing birds I never heard before. That's what I'm really looking forward to. And seeing riflemen everywhere. Oh, I'm looking forward to uh, a community asset that is beloved by the folks in the region and is on everyone's short list of what to do with visiting friends and family when you come to Sunny Nelson. Uh, I'm looking forward to a site that's absolutely teeming with wildlife and having that wildlife spread out from behind the fence and follow the green fingers of land and find their way back into the communities of Nelson and Stoke and Richmond and back into people's gardens and back into their daily lives. We sincerely believe this is economic development. This is delivering a, a visitor attraction to Nelson and a, a significant community asset that, um, that this community envisioned and worked hard to make happen and uh, soon we'll get to enjoy the benefits of. What are you looking forward to, David? For me, obviously, this has been my whole sort of career path has been around uh, bird conservation and pest control, and this is the ultimate here. I think the thing I'm looking forward to most, and I kind of get a bit emotional, is those seabirds. I mean, you've had that wonderful experience like I have of being on some of these offshore islands at night with that rain of birds crashing through the trees. You actually, on the west coast with western black petrels, you're fearing for your life a bit because these are huge big meaty birds coming landing around you um, that experience at night with the bird life and then what that brings all the droppings coming ashore which leads to then a diverse invertebrate population which leads then to lots of lizards and tuatara and things it's the seabirds for me that'll take a little bit more doing but it's been done all around the country so yeah I'm looking forward to that one it's great to see another school group arriving today. It's just another day at the sanctuary, really. There's school groups here many days, and great to hear the kids laughing and getting down by the stream and finding bugs and cora and what have you. I'm Jackie Bacon. I'm classroom teacher at Waimea Intermediate. I'm Rick Field. I'm the project coordinator and educator at the Brook Waimarama Sanctuary. So you've turned up here today with a, a bus full of kids? Absolutely. We come up here um, yearly. What does it offer to you as, a, as an outdoor classroom? It really ties in um, nicely with what we're doing in the classroom because we like to bring the real world into the classroom. So instead of actually bringing it in, we come out to it and um, see what's actually happening in our local area. And Rick, you coordinate all these groups that come here? 
Yeah, so it's my privilege to be able to talk to all age groups and take them into the bush, give them that experience from the little tackers, early childhood, right through to, well, we've had old, old people's homes in here as well. So, you know, just sharing my passion, I think, is um, uh, putting this place all back together again, the restoration and conservation. So, yeah, I love it. And I love getting these kids out there. And there's always something new. We always find all sorts of bizarre things like... Another week we found this forest dragonfly, which I haven't seen very often, and you always see kereru. It's great. And what kind of comments do you get from the kids? Early childhood, it's that sense of wonder, and the, unfortunately a lot of kids don't get into the bush as much as perhaps they used to in the past. They don't go with their mums and dads, they spend time screens, as we all know, but my kids being the same. But we're trying to change that, and... Um, yeah, the comments sometimes are, oh, I'm a bit afraid, and then by the end of it, this is just the coolest, and, you know, there's that transition over the time we're out there, and, and it is a reasonable walk we take this group on for, you know, it's a couple of hours, it's steep, and they complain, so at, at the end, they, they feel like they've achieved something. Because a lot of these kids don't realise what's actually on their back doorstep, you know, they don't realise what we've got here in Nelson, that everything is actually quite close for them. And that they can pop up here, um, you know, with their mates or with families and things. And a lot do follow up with that later on. Um, so it's really nice for them to just, yeah, come up and see and experience and um, feel that they're part of it as well. And they can have some part of it if they want to. So they could be the next generation of volunteers here? Absolutely. Yeah, well, we're, we're already using some of the school groups to do actual work, you know, like making traps. So it's really helped us out. What are you hoping the kids will do? What will they take away from their visit here? Well, I don't want them to get that feeling of hopelessness. You know, there's something practical that they can do, whether it be just to encourage birds to their own backyards, to their schools. I'm trying to promote the idea of school, my school, my sanctuary, so that they can start looking at, you know, their health, their school's health and, and the, the wildlife that visits their schools. I'm Hazel. And I'm Mania. <laughs> Have you been to the sanctuary before? Only once or twice. Uh, yeah, I've been here before. And what do you think of it? I think it's really, really cool. It's really cool and I've been for about two walks. So what are you doing today? We're just going for a walk and I think we're going to like have a look at the, some of the things that are around here and have a look at the natures and that. What are you looking forward to? Definitely the tramp, I think. <laughs> going in the bush. Do you know what they're doing with the predator-proof fence here and what they're hoping to achieve? Um, they've uh, put like a fence in that they've got a curved thing over the top yeah. so no pests can get over it and they're putting it under the ground as well so they can't dig under it or anything. Mm. I think it'll be pretty good for the um, animals that live within. <laughs> There'll be lots of native animals in that. Yeah, a bit more than hopefully now. So that's going to be something to look forward to. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. My name's Jim Livingston. I'm Operations Manager at the Brook Waimarama Sanctuary. Now, you're taking me up to the side of the sanctuary, but we've just stopped to have a look at the fence, which is under construction. What a mission. Yes, what a mission indeed. So, um, 14 and a half kilometres of fence, uh, predator-proof fence that's being erected by Excluder. They are the experts. And... Uh, yeah, as you can imagine, it's quite a, quite a challenge in this, this type of topography. Yeah, so we've just been grinding up the hill in a little vehicle and they're very steep tracks. We're on a tight corner here. There's a section that they've already built and then below us, so it basically just plummets down to the valley and the fence continues down there. 
Yes, I think uh, this is this is quite a, a dramatic point on the fence. And uh, as we look down into the valley floor here, I think you can actually feel the exposure at this point. Cool. Well, let's carry on up this steep, steep road. Yeah, it gets steeper, so hold on. It's a real white-knuckle ride. <laughs> OK, I will be putting my seatbelt on. So we're not quite at the top of the sanctuary. If you look beyond, you can see that the elevation rises further still. So, so what's that high point? How high is it? It goes up beyond 600 metres. We're on what's called the Western Firebreak, and uh, we're at one of our emergency shelters called Weasel Inn. So first and foremost, you've got the fence, uh, which is probably around two metres high. And at the top of the fence, you'll see a hood which projects out and has quite a, quite a nice overhang on it. Now, the purpose of that overhang is that if any of the predators, rats or mice or stoats, climb up, they can't get beyond the overhang of the hood. So that's a very, very important component. So even if they climb up that mesh, they're just going to end up inside the hood, really, which they just can't get around. Exactly. And you'll notice that it's made of nice, slippery metal as well. Yeah. Let's now, just go a bit closer. What's the, what's the mesh? It looks like a yeah, pretty small so, mesh on it. So the mesh is quite, quite narrow if you look at it, and the mesh is about 5 millimetres by 25 millimetres. So it's fine enough to keep out even, even a young mouse. Uh, very important when you want to have a totally pest-proof sanctuary. And it's very, very strong. You can notice these posts are at a spacing of two metres and they're reinforced. There are metal bands which reinforce the fence. And it's got a skirt on the outside that runs across the ground? Yes, again, another very important component. So that skirt, that projects 600 millimetres out from the bottom of the fence. And the idea of that is that if any pests want to dig in, they, they will come up to the fence, to the vertical surface of the fence, and start digging. And then, unfortunately for them, they'll hit the, hit the apron, which they can't, can't dig through. And then we dress the apron, so you notice we've got soil on that, and we'll actually sow that with a, a native, a native grass, probably brown top, which uh, gives it resistance against erosion. So um, this pest-proof fence, it has to be fit for purpose, and it has to repel the strongest pig, and it has to also repel the uh, the cleverest mouse. The maintenance, it will be once weekly maintenance. We'll probably have two teams of about four people driving around the entirety of the fence and looking very, very carefully at each of the different aspects and just making sure that um, it, it is well and truly pest-proof. Alistair Corner, I'm part of the assets team. Dave Garnett, part of the assets team. So you two are both volunteers? Yes, We've been volunteers now for about four years, something like that. Yeah. We've been doing a, a good range of uh, work on the asset team. Prior to that, I was involved with uh, track cutting, uh, but um, I was more interested in the construction because that's my side, a bit of an engineer, a bit of a bod bodging man. So I, I, I 
get a lot of enjoyment out of uh, building things. And we've been doing this for 12 months or more now, just on the uh, construction side of things within the sanctuary, and anything from uh, like putting putting in water tanks, doing uh, the workshop down below, the education platform, the huts that have, uh, we've started one, we're about halfway through the second one, and there's a third one to be done as well. So it keeps us busy. So you two both retired? Yes. And how many hours a week do you put in, do you reckon? Well, me, I probably do maybe only about eight hours, maybe, eight hours probably a week. Probably 15 to 20 hours a week. I've cut mine back. <laughs> so what motivates you to do it? What got you started? Uh, I feel as though I'm putting a lot back into the community here. Uh, I see this as, as a mag- marvellous thing, get the birds in here. I'm into birds, been into uh, birds a long time back. Something just caught your eye? Yes, just a, a two idiots flying across. Yeah. I've just seen um, a grey warbler just where we've been work, working uh, just a few minutes ago. So that's really exciting. I love birds. Normally, we a lot of the sites that we're on, we get the workers coming around and we've nicknamed them the building inspectors because they come around and they check everything out. They miss nothing. But uh, No, it's interesting. We've always got some bird life around and I've noticed in the last well, three years or so, the bird life has really increased around this area quite a bit. So what are you looking forward to most when the fence is finished? I think the biggest thing is going to be the ongoing thing is fence inspections and that. And I like going out walking as it's 14 kilometres, is checking the fence it has got to be done inside and out to make sure none of these little mice and rats and all that are not trying to dig their way in or out of the fence and uh, it's, it's got to be very uh, carefully checked all the time and also you've got the problem of uh, trees and that in places too that may come down especially in the storms that we do have around here occasionally. I'm looking forward to bringing my grandchildren in here and introducing them to birds and whatever uh, invertebrates that we might be able to see. I like messing around in the little ponds and looking for the freshwater crayfish that you occasionally get. Things like that, and the, wet, and the wetters and things, yeah. That was Dave Gunnett and fellow Brookway Marama Sanctuary volunteer Alistair Corner. You also heard from Operations Manager Jim Livingston, Bird Monitoring Coordinator Catherine Chamberlain, General Manager Hudson Dodd and Trust Chair David Butler. Thanks for listening to this Our Changing World podcast. Check out our webpage for photos and web features rnz.co.nz slash our changing world. Kia ora mai. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.